Remain standing and take your Bibles and turn to Mark's Gospel. Mark chapter 4. Mark 4. Let's hear now the Word of God. Again, he, Jesus, began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And those seeds fell into the, and, and other seeds fell into the good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that are sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Amen. That sends a reading of God's word. You may be seated. Oh God, how excited that we are this morning to come and to hear from your word. Lord, we are a people who, who need you to speak to us. And uh, Lord, uh, give us ears to hear, not just through the, the ear canals of our ear to hear sounds, but Lord, even to hear to the point of the truth penetrating our hearts as well. So we pray for a mighty work of your Holy Spirit to, to stir and strengthen the faith uh, that you have given to us. Uh, but Lord, uh, even for others to maybe hear the gospel for the first time and respond in faith. We thank you, Lord, and pray this in your mighty power and name. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but uh, when I think of the church in the West, uh, I sometimes get a little bit discouraged. Um, there, you know, when you, when you hear some of the things that are going on, you hear about the number of the general decline in church attendance that has occurred through all of the COVID stuff and, and just the number of people who just never returned to church. 
Or, or maybe it's the aggressive opposition that you hear about in the news. Opposition to the gospel of Jesus Christ from secular humanism. You know, those that are seeking to uh, uh, push against and reverse traditional Christian values, whether that be regarding abortion, it might be regarding marriage, or even today the hot, one of the hot topics seems to be sexuality or race or other things such as this. These are things that are, are, are definitely current in our news, but they are things that have been happening for, for decades now. And, and you see it in the public sphere as well, where religious liberty and freedom of speech are becoming increasingly restricted. Where you have movements of people who are seeking to make it hate speech to talk about things that the Bible clearly lays out and uh, wanting to sort of squelch the, the Christian witness. And so sometimes when I look at all that, I just think, Lord, I'm done. Take me home. Just come, Lord Jesus. Let's just forget this whole mess. It just sort of seems uh, crazy. And, and sometimes, and while you know that this is not true, uh, still sometimes in the back of your mind, you just begin to get the impression that God's kingdom is small, that it's fragile, it's, it's being oppressed. And, and you can end up asking, your things, asking yourself things like, Lord, will your kingdom actually succeed? Will the church of Jesus Christ actually grow as it was promised? Will the kingdom spread to cover the whole earth as we read in passages like Genesis chapter 12? And, and we may have faith to believe that that can happen in other places, maybe Africa or the Middle East, where even in spite of persecution, you hear the church growing and you hear exciting things about what is going on. But what about my community? What about Andover or Newton or Hayesville or, you know, Augusta, wherever, you're, wherever you live? You know, what about those communities? Is, is, can you believe that there? I know there are some of you, many of you actually, who have grown up in the church. And maybe you have been part of churches where you have rarely, if ever, seen anybody come to faith in Jesus Christ. And you may be wondering, even as you're praying for those that you love, whether it be friends, loved ones, neighbors, whoever, will they be converted? And, and why do people keep opposing Christianity? Why do they seem so disinterested? Well, uh, first of all, I think we need to understand this is what Jesus experienced. He experienced this kind of opposition. I mean, even from chapter 2 onwards, we, we see this in the different accounts that took place. And even last week, as we came to the end of chapter 3, we saw that Jesus was opposed by the religious leaders. And, and as difficult as that must have been to have the big wigs come down from the home office in Jerusalem to sort of check you out and find you wanting, how much more uh, difficult it, it could have been that his family, those who were closest to him, were also opposing him as well. So even from early on in Jesus' ministry, he's experienced opposition Opposition and opposition. And so, and so the question is, is what is going on? Wasn't the kingdom of God supposed to come with, with a blaze of glory and the Messiah come and there there be this great revival rather than just a whimper in the backwaters of Galilee? Well, so how do we, um, so how can Jesus assure us that his kingdom project will actually succeed when there is such opposition? Well, this morning I want us to consider this 
as we look at the parable, it's often called the parable of the sower. Sometimes you may have heard it called the parable of the seed or the parable of the, the soil. I mean, there, there's all different titles for this passage. But in this passage, Jesus explained to us more of the nature or the dynamics of his kingdom and how he works in that kingdom, how he builds that kingdom up. And so let us look at a number of things this morning. The first thing I want us to see is the secret of the kingdom in verses 11 and 12. Uh, in, in giving the secret of the kingdom, Jesus reveals really two groups of people. Look at verse 11. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. That's one group, to those who has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So there are two groups of people that Jesus is talking about there. And every one of us in this room, every one of us on the live stream, falls in one of these two groups or these categories. There are those to whom the secret of the kingdom of God has been given, and there are those who are outside. Both of those hear the very same message, but to those who have been given the secret of the kingdom of God, that message is transformative. It changes your life. It, it makes you new. It does something within you. But for those on the outside, it is actually an instrument of judgment. Uh, they hear it, but they, they think of it negatively. They, they don't get it. They don't care to get it. They just totally dismiss it oftentimes. Now, to, to understand this, you have to understand that in Jesus' day, his hearers would have understood what the Bible meant about the kingdom of God. I mean, they had heard that taught in the Old Testament. I mean, the, the, the term kingdom is not used a ton in the Old Testament, but the concept is a lot. And, and even for probably the last two or three hundred years before Jesus uh, came to earth, this concept of, of the kingdom had been taught in Bible studies uh, throughout Judea, and as well as um, a, a more kingdom, uh, more teaching on the kingdom of God. And many knew exactly what it meant, or at least they thought they knew what it meant, that when the Messiah come, this Messiah king, this king figure, would arrive according to the promise of the Old Testament, and the Messiah would destroy the Roman forces. Because, you know, as we've talked about in the past, Rome was everywhere. They occupied Israel. And uh, their soldiers were in the streets, their banners were flying in the wind, and their emblems were everywhere. And there was no question that they were an occupied country. And so the men and the women, when they heard Jesus speak of the kingdom and that he was a king, you can just imagine that they perceived that soon there would be the surrender and the defeat of the Roman Empire. Now, I think oftentimes as Christians today, we look back at the Jews with sort of our nose turned down towards them. Because we think, how could they be so ignorant to think that that's what the kingdom of God was like? But brothers and sisters, I would suggest to you that maybe we're not so different than what they were, ironically. Uh, if many of the church, if many people in the church were honest, I think we might uh, see God in much the same way as the Jews did. In the same way that they were tempted to see God as someone who could make their life comfortable, someone who would uh, make their life more palatable and would get rid of this enemy and allow them to uh, live under their own rule. They were looking for really earthly riches and for, for the Messiah to do that. And yet how often are we tempted to see God in, in the same way, to make our life comfortable and to give us success, not to come to Christ so that he might cause us to die to self. 
to the bondage that we have to the flesh and the, this, the remaining sin that is in us. And so the kingdom of God is not about making life on this world better, whether that's for the Jews of the Old Testament or for Christians. It's about the rule of God in our lives. It is about the reign of God in our lives. It is about God coming and redemption and restoration, saving the people for himself and sending his son as the king Messiah. So where we cannot, brothers and sisters, even deal with the sin of our own heart, we have a savior who can. Could I hear an amen? amen. I mean, is that not good news? Did you hear that? That we are not left to our own devices or our own strength. But Christ has come to set us free. And so Christ comes preaching of this kingdom. But he comes and he preaches in parables. Okay, now parables can serve to do a couple of things. It really addresses two different audiences. To those on the outside, to those who have not been given the secret to the kingdom of God, all these parables were convenient vehicles for veiling the truth from those who really had no business about these things. Uh, for example, you think about Herod as he ruled. you got to imagine that he had people in the crowds that Jesus was teaching to. And they were sort of checking this religious guy out. They wanted to make sure he wasn't going to cause trouble for uh, the government. And so they're listening to him. And as Jesus is speaking in these parables, then really that's all they remain to these uh, uh, secular leaders. They really can't understand what he's talking about when he's talking about this kingdom and, and seeds and sowers and ground. That just doesn't make sense. But there's another purpose, too, for those that are outside. Parables also concern, can serve as covenant curses on the wicked as well. And we see that in verse 12. But let me pick up from verse 11 to get the context. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. So that, in order that, or because, this is why this is the case. They may indeed see, but not perceive. And may indeed hear, but not understand. Lest they should turn and be forgiven. So the parables to those on the outside is so people will not repent and be forgiven. I say, now, wait a minute, Pastor Rick. Whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus came to preach the good news. Uh, he came to preach repentance so that people would turn from their sin and be forgiven. So what's going on here? Well, to understand this verse, you've got to understand that it's a quote from Isaiah. And you've got to look at what the original intent of that. Uh, in Isaiah, God sent the prophet Isaiah to his own people, to Israel, who was willfully turning away from God over and over and over and over again. No matter how much God sent his messengers to them, the people rejected that. And God had given them every opportunity to repent. And every time they refused. Could you imagine being a preacher like Isaiah? That's exactly the kind of ministry I want to be called to. Pastor Rick, I'm going to call you to ministry. I want you to preach the gospel for years. And by the way, you won't have any converts. All your preaching will do is harden the hearts of the people more and more and more and more. It will, it will allow them to stand before me one day and I can say to them, I sent my prophets to you and you rejected them. Isn't that the kind of ministry you just love to have? That's, a, that's the ministry Isaiah had. 
And so he, he preaches to them. And so God sends Isaiah to preach to them in order to confirm them in their refusal to repent. And, and that's what Jesus means here. Jesus is God's final prophet to Israel. And, and if people were going to refuse to repent at the word of the final prophet, then his word would only confirm their refusal to turn away from him. And so what happens is, is that the parables really become a form of judgment to these people. Uh, people who believe that they're close to God like these religious leaders that's been coming to Jesus. I mean, can you imagine this? Just think of this, how horrible this would be for these people on the judgment day. We need to take this as a warning, brothers and sisters. Here are religious leaders who spent their entire life studying the Word of God, thinking that they are so close to God, and yet we see that actually their hearts are hard towards God, that they are, are far away from God. And as, as a result, we see God's judgment come upon them. It's a lot like a light. Okay, if I shine a bright light, that bright light can do one of two things, okay? If I shine that bright light right in your face, one thing that can do is I can blind you, right? Uh, hopefully I wouldn't do that, but it's been known to happen. Okay, and, and so you shine that bright light and it blinds that person. That's just like God's judgment coming upon people. But then that same light that brings about judgment to one group can also give sight and light a path for another group. And that's exactly what we see with the parables. For those on the outside, it brings judgment. But for those on the inside, the parables serve as a useful snapshot of what Jesus came to do to establish his kingdom. And the secret is that the kingdom of God has come in Jesus. Jesus is the one who is the key uh, to the kingdom. And like seeds sown on the ground. And that's the secret that's been given to his disciples. That Jesus has revealed who he really is. He has revealed his identity. And he has given them, to, and, and Christ has given them this to his disciples by his grace. Look at verse 11. To you has been given. These disciples receive this secret not because they have incredible intellect or uh, just precise perception so they can perceive things that are true and false. It's not any ability in and of themselves, but it is because God gave His grace to them. It is this secret that helps to unlock the parable, that Jesus is the key. And brothers and sisters, this is what we need to pick up from this. That you don't come to understand the message of Jesus from a distance. You can't come to church on Sunday morning exactly like you guys are doing. Listen to a sermon once a week. Go home. Never really think about God. Well, maybe you might go to a midweek Bible study or uh, some kind of thing like that. But still, there again, you just only listen. And you don't really take to heart the things that are there. And that's not going to, to help you come to understand Christ. Spiritual illumination only comes to those... Who are personally committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Who have ears to hear what Jesus is saying. Unless there is a personal relationship. Unless there is communion with Christ. Unless there is fellowship with Jesus. And the work of the Holy Spirit is in one's life. God's judgment rests upon them. And so first of all he shares the kingdom of God. But then second of all he talks about the word of God. Is central to the message of the kingdom. 
The word of God is central to the message of the kingdom. Uh, verse 14. The sower sows the word. Now, think about that a second. The sower sows the word. That, that is somewhat startling if you look at Jesus' ministry. Okay? Uh, when you see the things that Jesus has been doing, he's been healing the sick. He's been casting out demons. He really, this is the first section of Mark where Jesus really teaches. The other things leading up to this is doing, 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 doing. And so you could very easily get the impression that the kingdom comes through acts of supernatural miracles. That's how we see the kingdom of God expressed and worked out in our lives. And, and um, there are those today who are even confused about how the kingdom of God comes. There are those today who think that unless you have supernatural miracles, that, that the kingdom of God is, is not come. There are others who are more liturgical, and they think that uh, the, the kingdom of God comes through the sacraments, through baptism and, and the celebration of the Lord's Supper. There are others who think that the kingdom of God comes through governmental involvement and political parties. And if we want to see the kingdom of God come to our culture, to our society, we have to see laws being made that reflect Christian values so that we can experience those Christian values. There are others today in the church who see the kingdom of God will only come as we concern ourselves with acts of social justice, as we are concerned you know, with things like sexuality, if we are concerned about things about race and, and such matters as that, and only then. But Jesus says that his kingdom comes by the word. It comes by the word. And this is how it comes. So the Bible you're holding, maybe a physical Bible, maybe on your tablet or your phone or whatever, but the Bible that you're holding, you're holding the very instrument through which the kingdom of God comes. And I want to reiterate that, brothers and sisters, because we live in a world that's just giving all kinds of confusing messages. I mean, even think about what are we doing right now here in our service today? You say, well, we're worshiping the Lord, Rick, or we're listening to a sermon. What? Well, I would suggest to you that in this worship service, we are praying the word, we're reading the word, we're preaching the word. Everything is focused around the word of God. Because the Bible is central to the kingdom of God. It is the seed that is being sown. And Jesus sows the word in the hearts of men and women. And that's why Paul, as he's wrapping up his ministry, and he's giving uh, admonitions to this young pastor, Timothy, what does he say as he's sort of closing out his letter? Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, Timothy. Preach the word. That's the important thing. That's the fundamental thing. Well, there are many churches today, brothers and sisters, who see the Word of God as outdated, is antiquated, it's, it's, it's old, and it really won't reach people. It's powerless. We need to add something to that. There's some kind of gimmick that we need to have. You know, we need to either serve Starbucks coffee or I don't know what the latest gimmick would be. But, you know, we need to give out uh, little gifts to people who visit our church so we can get them to come back and... There's all these little gimmicks that we might come up with. and uh, Or we, maybe we need to be more culturally sensitive. Maybe we need to change our worship service to, to reach more of a, a Hispanic community or, or uh, some other ethnic diversity group. 
but even if we could get people to come in with these gimmicks, it is only the Word of God and the Spirit of God that can change the hearts of people. And so the Word is, is key to the kingdom. Third thing I want us to see is the response to the kingdom. This is verses 14 through or 13 through 20. Uh, what we see in this parable is, is that there are many who will reject the message of Jesus Christ. Now, the sower is sowing the seed, and he does so liberally. He does it indiscriminately. He's not deciding, oh, I want to put it on the, only the good soil. He throws it out there to all the soil. That just sort of reminds us that the gospel is to be preached openly to everyone uh, that we should give it to. We don't sit down and say, well, you know what, Uncle Joe, he's sort of hardened man. He's an atheist. He doesn't really believe in God. I'm not going to talk to him about God. You know, because I know that the word won't have any benefit for him. We don't know what the soil is, brothers and sisters. We are to we are to give that. That's not our job to determine that. Our job is to sow the seed indiscriminately on all types of soil. Now, one thing I want you to notice is here, uh, three-fourths of the seed goes to waste. Have you noticed that? Now, every farmer I know, he is very careful to make sure that his seed, he doesn't want to waste any of it. He wants to get the best harvest he can. So he, he wants to plant it in only good soil and just the right conditions so to grow. But this sower wastes three-fourths of the seed. Only a fourth of the seed falls upon good soil. And so we, we need to, to understand that we are to sow the seed indiscriminately. And also that there's nothing wrong with the seed. Uh, it's the seed, uh, fall, it's the same seed that falls on all these, uh, on these types of soils, okay? And uh, so, you know, with some it has benefit, with others it does not. And that goes back to what we said earlier about those that are inside and those that are outside. To some people, God's word brings judgment. To others, it brings life. For those that it brings light, the parable can really be like a mirror. It can just sort of really reflect and reveal what is truly going on in your life. And we have to ask ourselves, what are we like? How, how do we respond to the message of God's kingdom that is broken into the world through Jesus Christ? And, and Jesus tells us about different kinds of people. First of all, there's the unresponsive person in verses 14 and 15. It's that hard soil. It's... It's the seed that's thrown on the path that's been trodden on a lot. So it's really hard. And the seed just lays right on top. So what happens but that the birds come in and, and they take it away. Uh, so what, what is sown? The hard heart is un unreceptive to the message that Christ gives. Now, let me just say this, brothers and sisters, just so you know. The devil doesn't want you to come to church. As a matter of fact, the devil wants to do everything he can to keep you away from the Word of God because he knows what happens when people read the Word of God and the Spirit of God is working in the heart and they have understanding. And so I will tell you this, you might think there's just a certain number of people here today. Whoever's taken attendance will give me a number at the end of the service and say there were that many that were here today. But I would suggest to you there's a whole bunch more here today. If Satan is not here, at least his minions are. Because he wants to do everything he can to steal the Word of God from your hearts this morning. He wants you to be thinking, huh, I wonder what Pastor Rick's going to tell us in the, his report this afternoon about the General Assembly. Hmm, I wonder how Robbie's going to cook the lasagna. 
it'll be like this or that. You know, will it be too done? Or, you know, Monday, I, I need to do this. I need to not forget that. And there's all these things that could flood our minds because Satan does not want you to hear the word. And, you know, there are times when you read your Bible, right? And it is so hard. You just think, I'm not getting anything out of this. Because Satan is seeking to do everything he can to steal that, that word from you. He wants you to be worried about the, the things and have your thoughts on other things. There's also the rocky soil, though. That's the impulsive person. Uh, in verses 16 and 17. You know, in Jesus' day, the, the land had a lot of limestone with just a little bit of soil over the top, maybe a couple of inches. So at first appearance, it looked like rich soil, but if you dug down, you realize that there was only a, a couple of inches of soil. So the seed gets in there, and it, and it begins to grow. The plant begins to grow, and it looks good, but there's not a, enough soil to um, really support that young plant. And, and you've known people like this, haven't you? People who have come to the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they respond to it immediately. Maybe they're at some concert or some church, and, and there's this altar call and, and this emotional appeal, and, and they respond to that. And, and it seems like their life is, is very vibrant. They're very enthusiastic. They love going to church. They love being with God's people. There's so much promise in their life. As a matter of fact, as an older Christian, you're feeling a little convicted. You're thinking, man, I must be an old dinosaur. My love for the Lord must be cold because they are so excited about the Lord Jesus Christ. But unfortunately, for some of these people, there's no depth to uh, their response to the word. It's just really a superficial response. And so Jesus says they have no root in them. And so when things get tough, when their friends start saying to them, hey, why don't you come back and party with us? They don't have much to support them. Maybe when their unbelieving spouse says to them, why do you spend so much time with this church stuff? You know, you need to spend more time with me. Aren't you supposed to love your wife? Doesn't the Bible say that? That, that they don't know what to do. So uh, they feel that pressure that mounts upon them. And then when persecution <coughs> and opposition comes because of the word, they don't have the root. And so they just wither up and they die. And then there's the, the third soil, which is the thorny soil, in verses 18 and 19. And this is really the distracted person. Uh, they hear the word, but they're distracted by a whole bunch of other things. And in, in Jesus' ministry, he highlights a number of these thorns and thistles that can make their way into our lives. And if we leave these things unchecked, they can actually choke out the word of God that, that we heard. One of the, the first things he mentions is the cares of the world. Remember when Jesus said, Do not worry about what you will eat or drink or what you wear. Your Father in heaven knows that you need these things before you ask Him. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Or the words of the Apostle Paul that said, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we need not to let the cares of the world begin to choke out our response to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus Christ, we can trust Him. He will take care of us. And you may be a person that's tempted to worry, tempted to fret, tempted to be concerned. You may be even like I admitted my struggles sometimes, as I look at the things going on in the world and you think, Lord, just love me off this planet. But Jesus will sustain us. 
And we need to learn to fight the cares of the world by faith in the Savior, that the Word may bear fruit in our hearts. Well, a third thistle or thorn that we see in our lives is sometimes uh, the deceitfulness of riches. Money, riches, things like that, uh, they can lie to us. Uh, oh, sure, you can have Jesus, but you also want just a little bit more of me, right? To make life more comfortable. And no matter how much we have, it's never enough. And the more we find ourselves living for riches and pursuing it and pouring our lives into endeavors to try to make more money, uh, then we find ourselves just choking out the Word of God more and more and more. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 24, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Not both at the same time. Now, we know, brothers and sisters, that the Bible talks about Christians who are wealthy, very rich. So having money isn't what's wrong. I know brothers and sisters in Christ who are very loaded financially, but their love for the Lord is even greater than their bank account. It's the love of money that gets us, brothers and sisters. We can be dirt poor and yet always be looking for how to make the next buck. And uh, that can uh, capture our hearts. Well, the third thing uh, we, that we see here is the desire for things or materialism. You know, advertisers, when they're trying to sell you something, you may think they're trying to sell you a product. But they're trying to sell you more than that. They're trying to sell you a lifestyle. When you see the family and the SUV driving down the road and you picture your family in there, you're not only wanting that SUV, but you want all the smiles. You want the smiling children in the back. Not the fighting ones that you usually have in the back, right? You know, that you're like, guys, just, do I have to stop this car? You know, you want the smiling. So they're trying to sell you the whole picture, a lifestyle. Uh, but beware. And, and brothers and sisters, don't think of the gospel as a way to get the life that you want. The gospel is not a commodity. If you see Jesus as a commodity amongst commodity, desire for other things will always trump allegiance to Christ in the end. So don't make Jesus compete with the stuff of the world. The stuff of the world will choke the gospel to death every time. So Christ didn't come to give you a life that you've always wanted, but He came to show you He is a sufficient Savior for the deepest need of your heart and the need to be forgiven of your sin and reconciled to God. You know, but sometimes we can be, uh, there's an illustration that Kent Hughes, a pastor, tells that I think we can maybe relate to when it comes to our relationship with God. There was a young man who, who took his girlfriend into his arms and he says, Darling, I want you to know that I love you more than, than anything else in all the world. And, and I want you to marry me. I'm not rich. I don't, I don't have a yacht or a Rolls Royce like Johnny Brown. But I love you with all my heart. And she looked into his eyes and she said, You know, sweetheart, I love you too. Um, I love you so much with all my heart. But you could, could you tell me more about this Johnny Brown guy? <laughs> You know, sometimes can we not be like that? Where we can say we love the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet our hearts maybe are tempted to be set upon other things. But we also see that, that Christ does plant the seed in good soil. And this is the responsive person in verse 20. Those 
that were sown on the good soil are the ones that hear the word of God, they accept it, and it bears fruit 30, 60 fold. And you would expect him to say, and 90 fold. But he says, oh no, it's a bumper crop. It's a hundredfold that you receive. And, and do you notice the marks of a receptive heart, a responsive heart? They hear the word, they accept the word, and they bear fruit from the word. That God's word is at work in their heart. Um, sometimes we may be discouraged and think, oh Lord, you're not bearing much fruit in my life. You may see God working in your heart through the word and you're thankful for that, but you may be discouraged. It's sort of like a story I heard this week, and I think it was a Scottish preacher. He was sort of reflecting on his year of ministry. And, and he was writing in his journal, and he said, Oh, Lord, it's been a hard year. I've only seen one convert to Jesus Christ, a young man by the name of David Livingston. Now, as many of you know, he was a great missionary that went on to share the gospel, and many people came to faith through Jesus Christ. We never know how the Lord is using the ministry that he has given to us as we share that. It may be in telling our neighbors about Christ, but brothers and sisters, it may be about you sharing it to your children. Maybe having faithfully family worship and teaching them God's word and memorizing scripture and doing all these things. And you never know how the Lord is going to use that word in their hearts to maybe affect uh, a great harvest for his glory. You see, each of these different kinds of soils can be illustrated by people in Mark's gospel. The Pharisees, those were the hard, unresponsive persons who wouldn't listen to Jesus, and they just rejected him outright. The crowds, they were like the shallow, rocky soil. They were impulsive. They believed quickly, and they, they wanted the miracles, but when persecution comes, the, the crowds left as quickly as they came. Judas Iscariot, he's that distracted person. He's with Jesus, right? He's with Jesus. He sees all these things, but he gets deceived by the deceitfulness of riches, and he ends up betraying Jesus. And then there are the responsive people, the disciples. They are the good soil. They receive the word and produce fruit in their lives. So as we come this morning, I just want to ask you, do you have a receptive heart to the word of God? That's probably the big question of the morning. As you, as you sit and you hear me share from God's Word, do you see that as what is being reflected in your life? What are you doing with the gospel seed? Has your heart been crowded and choked by the weeds of the worry or the thorns of materialism? Or is your heart shallow so that however pretty the first flower of your faith was, uh, it gets tired and you find that through the trials, your faith has become weak. Maybe yours is an impenetrable heart, and the word just seems to bounce off of you, and you're just thinking, man, when's Pastor Rick going to wrap this up so we can get out of here? You know, i got things to do, places to go, people to see. And, and you've, not, you've not heard much. Brothers and sisters, how do you know if Christ is working in your heart? He is a sower. We sow the seed as well. But he's the one who is the sower. And how do you know if your heart is that of a good soil, good soil here? Well, you would be a person who would be busy pulling up the weeds. Uh, you'd, you'd stop with the cares of the world and you would focus upon Christ and know that he will trust you. 
You're turning with all your fears to the only one who can answer them, the Lord omnipotent who reigns. And so you're constantly pleading with Christ, Lord, God, please plow up the soil of my heart. Plant your word deep within my heart that I might hear and read and study it, the word that it might sink down deep and that it might bear fruit 30, 60, or 100-fold. Brothers and sisters, there's really only two groups of people. There are those whom the secret of the kingdom is revealed and there are those whose destruction is being worked out as they reject the word of God. As God works in the hearts of his people, only a fourth of that seed lands on good soil, but the harvest is a bumper crop. It may only be a fourth of the seed, but it is a massive harvest to the glory and the praise of God. Brothers and sisters, eternity pivots on your response to God's word today. I want you to notice one last thing. When Jesus uh, begins this parable in verse 3, what's the first word he says? Listen. Listen. I want you to give attention. I don't want you to just to hear this with your ears. I want you to hear it with your heart. I want it to, to, to permeate, to get down into you. I want you to, to seek to obey, to listen, to respond to what I have to say by faith. Is that where you're at today? That you are willing to respond to faith? Knowing that Christ is the one who works in our hearts to believe in Him. Let's pray. Take just a, a, a few moments, if you would, and just reflect on what's being preached and just pray to the Lord in response to Him. Let's just take a few moments and spend with the Lord this morning. Let Him deal with your heart and light of this word that was preached today. Lord Jesus, the truth is there is work to be done in the gardens of our hearts. There are weeds to be pulled up, some of us, for, for too long now. We've let the, the seed of the word just sit on the surface like seeing sown along the path. And the distractions of the world, the, the work of the evil one, has snatched the seed away. Lord, some of us, in the past, at least we've responded joyfully, and it, it seemed to be going so well for a little while, and then under the blazing heat of hard times, we've wandered away. But here now, before you, Lord Jesus, would you till up the soil of our hearts, that we, each of us, and all of us, might be good soil hearers. We pray that you would plant your word deep into our lives, and, and cause it to bear much fruit for the glory of your name. It is in Christ's name that we pray these things. Amen.